From TMP to TTNG For sure the cure and those tired meme jeans Hella Kinsella and the promise ring Sunny day real estate and rights this spring Prince Twinkle Daddy's help keep the dream alive I constantly thank God for Algernon and Remo Christie front drive. Mineral snowing high tide hotelier and more. Rio Limo only consists of the DC emotive hardcore. Episode 59 of the E-Word. This is Kyle. I'm recording here in Madison, Wisconsin. Throwing it over to Ellie in Austin, Texas. I can't stop thinking about Adam Sandler. And it's becoming like a huge problem for me. There's this person on Twitter. uh, The handle is some Joanna Newsome 41, which is genius. It's my buddy Ivan who ended up like... Uh, doing this huge compilation for like like in conjunction with Link One Fifty Five, that was like a that was like a benefit, uh, and they just tweet about Adam Sandler and Hubie Halloween constantly, and it got to me, and I've re- I've really just been like thinking about how if Billy Madison came out in twenty fifteen instead of nineteen ninety five, I think it would be like a Zoomer touchstone because it's just as like surreal and absurdist as like Hot Rod or Wet Hot American Summer. <laughs> and it also was like critically reviled the same way as those movies were. But I think it like really, really holds up. Like there's not a lot of like problematic jokes in that movie. There's a couple because, you know, Adam Sandler is at heart like a like a bro. It's just a guy. That's why I love it. But, but like there's stuff there's like jokes in like Billy Madison and Happy Gilmore that feel like they could not have been in like a Mike Myers or Jim Carrey movie in the mid nineties, like in Billy Madison, like Steve Buscemi, like having that list of people who bullied him in high school to like go and murder. Like that's, <laughs> that's so dark and out of left field. And I don't see that being in like liar, liar, Ace Ventura or like Ben Stiller and happy Gilmore, like just committing elder abuse the entire runtime is genius. And after after this podcast is over, I'm just going to do a double feature of Big Daddy and Uncut Gems and oh like just experience the whiplash. Big Daddy uh, was the first PG-13 movie I saw. I think same. Yeah. I had it on VHS that my parents like stole from Blockbuster. Like they just <laughs> forgot to return it. And then we moved to another state with it. Like that movie is fucking great. Scuba Steve is really funny. Uh them throwing sticks in front of rollerbladers at the park is really funny. That McDonald's but... bit is pretty classic. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I watched uh, that. Like, 
I went out to Jersey. Uh, I went and visited some friends uh, a couple weeks ago, and I actually, yeah, watched Big Daddy for the first time in years. And it, like, weirdly holds up, right? Yeah. I watched sure. it, like, the past three weeks. <laughs> even, <laughs> even, like, truly awful Adam Sandler movies, I can't bring myself to fully hate because he's so charming. And I really think the problem is that he just reminds me of my dad, like, really heavily. <laughs> Like, they both have, like, the same egg-shaped head, even. <laughs> my mom thinks Adam Sandler is hot, which explains, like, a lot. Um, <laughs> he was ripped, I, though, in the Zohan. Yeah, that. Oh, for real. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I've also been thinking a lot about cults uh, because of that Nexium thing. And then me and Dina watched, like, a, like a three-season documentary television show about scientology that leah remini did how are you kyle i'm doing okay i suppose yeah i don't know i've been distracting myself a lot um but we have for your health here yeah we have hayden and we have damien hello hey are you both in ohio or is one of i know that arrows Damien's east coast right i'm i'm in ohio i moved to ohio Okay. Uh, and I am currently in Ohio. Hayden is currently not in Ohio, but resides in Ohio. I reside in places. Huh. <laughs> I'm currently in Alabama. Oh, word. How's Alabama right now? I know we're like gonna gonna do election talk later, but I feel like I really overreacted in thinking that there was gonna be a lot of like violence in and around the election. I think that I like jump the gun on that and i still think there might be some but i i do like worry about my homies who are in like southern states or states that just have like a like a high concentration of of trump voters oh i think uh i was surprised well well i didn't think biden was gonna win and then i thought people were gonna riot but that didn't happen obviously so i don't know it seems fine (laughs) I, I can tell Kyle is already like we have a section. <laughs> no, so. no. I think that I think talking about where we were is uh, valid for the top and how uh, safe or unsafe we would have been. That's valid. Uh, but yeah, I made a note on this rundown that we will have the inevitable the inevitable election discussion in its own section, so it doesn't just hog any talk about. Uh, for your health and your new record and everything else. So we'll talk about that later. Um, but I suppose <coughs> for follow-up, we just put out the episode with Welp, it's 2am. Not really surprisingly, but it's one of the bigger episodes of the year. And I had a lot of people that don't normally tune into the podcast being like, holy shit, you had the Welp, it's 2am person on the podcast, which is funny. Because yeah. everybody loves that page. Because Jenkman is just like my homie. <laughs> um people's reaction to johnny uh foreigner was like i don't know i feel like we like mentioned so many bands but jenkin mentioning johnny foreigner just like resulted in people being like that band fucking sucks and holy shit this band's awesome and holy shit i've i haven't heard of this band in a long time and i was really that band is such a that. weird that's a that's a very early uh Right before the 2010s type band. Yes. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. That's what they I found encapsulate, out. They encapsulate like almost every genre that was like really, really 
happening in 2008 or whatever. Um, what's what's that other UK like emo pop? Los Campesinos. Band? Yeah, yeah. Los Campesinos. Uh, um, no, 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 no. The, they're like they were like kind of like mainstream post hardcorey. I think their name starts with an F. Funeral for a friend. <laughs> yeah, funeral for a friend. Oh, there like, you go. I always thought of them as like in like a post funeral for a friend sense. Oh, um, yeah. And I've I've still never listened to them, so that comparison is probably like real whack. But maybe I'll listen to them this week. Maybe I'll write yeah. an essay about them. We'll see. <laughs> Kyle, you have here that nobody asked about the Stars Hollow song, but that's not true. Somebody asked about it in Midwest emo posting. That's they were I like, what was it. that track? <laughs> and I was like. I was like, it's Stars Hollow, and they were like, leak it, and I said, nah. Um, <laughs> and then Ian Cohen posted like the the eyes emoji. <laughs> uh, but yeah, if you want to hear like forty seconds of a Stars Hollow song that's not released yet, it's like around the eight minute mark in the last episode. Tyler was like, I wasn't expecting you to actually do it. <laughs> yeah, is uh, if anyone wants us to leak songs. DM us. Yeah. <laughs> we're uh we're the new fucking uh two dope boys. We're the new not right. Was it the other website hasitleaked.com? Or Oh yes. That was a good one. Yeah. Has it leaked? Or uh Kingdom Leaks. Yep. I remember that's Kingdom right. Leaks. Yep, yep. There's still a thing. I remember the Vane LP was like huge on Kingdom Leaks and I was like, people still use this website? Um, All right. Well, uh, Let's let's do our let's do our FYH rundown. All right, so I guess the breaking news is when this episode is out, LP one will be announced. So del- debut LP for For Your Health. Uh, its title is In Spite of. Uh, it's coming out on Twelve Gauge Records, February twelfth. We recorded in Pittsburgh with the legend Owen Trainer of Shinguard. Oh, hell yeah! Yeah. That's sick. I think uh, their influence really shines through on the record. Uh, they did much more than record it, you know. They produced the record and, and mixed it. Um, and, yeah, we we worked pretty closely with them. And I'm really excited for everyone to hear it. Was, were, was Owen, like, a big influence, like sonically like on the on the writing of the record because uh, without giving too much away like i think this is like y'all are pushing yourself further like both in terms of heaviness and melody there's like a real good interplay um it reminds me a lot of like late period page 99 or like um a little bit i have dreams just kind of this like really forceful blend of panic chords and catchiness uh anxiety anxiety catchiness if that makes sense um, yeah hell yeah also like not not to get like too much like fangirly but uh the guitar work and the vocals are like the best that i've heard from for your health like out of your whole discography like it, it sounds like y'all just fucking ripped shit up in the studio <laughs> Sick, thank you. <laughs> I appreciate that. About Owen's sonic influence, uh, I would say not really. Uh, we because we wrote this pretty much this record got written it back in March when we were about to leave for South by Southwest, and then COVID hit. You know, 
instead of going on tour because uh, tour is canceled forever we we like our, our drummer lives in baltimore mike um so they were down in columbus and they already had we already had the time off work and everything and it ended up not mattering because everybody's job shut down like immediately <laughs> yeah um, yeah within but, two days yeah we hold up in a in a practice spot and wrote the record over the course of like seven days like a week you know it's funny we really we had one song going in and like a skeleton of another um we had the first and last song basically yeah right we had the we had the bookmarks we just had needed the page you know we had the the cover we needed the pages you know yeah yeah you had the you had the beginning and the end of the arc now you just need the character development. Yeah. <laughs> Literally, yeah. <laughs> I knew how I wanted it to start and end. <laughs> Which is honestly probably, you know, that's that's good. I think that's a good... I mean, it's an inter- uh, the way we wrote this record was real cool, I thought, because, uh, you know, we had the, two fir- the first and last song written, and then I was... Like, the way we were writing was, like kind of weird because like we would do like okay this will be the outro of the previous song that's yet to be written and then it bleeds into the next song and then we'd write the you know and then we'd go back and say okay now let's write the intro the beginning part of this outro or whatever you know in that respect like we took a lot of time to make sure that everything like that it flowed real you know um seamlessly which i think we did a decent job of doing it's one movement we wrote the songs based on how they would fit as like one piece of like nonstop art. Um, and mm-hmm. like it sort of, they all fall together like that. So it's like interesting. We already had like the, we already had like the track listing like way before the record was done. And we knew how it was gonna, how it was gonna play out. And that in and of itself was cool, but like, because we were so we were prepared going in. Yeah, we've never went, writing the like last two releases. Uh, we didn't like the first one we did nosebleeds like our first seven inch. That one was sort of just like that was before we even knew the band was going to be a band. We were just jamming. We wrote a bunch of songs really quickly. Not even a bunch, like six or seven songs, pretty quickly. Like over the course of like two days, and we played them at a show. And we decided we should record them and stuff. So that's just like. That's just that. <laughs> uh, Death of Spring, we spent a little bit more time at. We re- rewrote those songs uh, over the course of maybe like three or four practices. And that we just decided we were going to, like, on our first tour, we decided we were going to do a split with Shingard when we met them. And we made it happen. And like we set a recording date and everything. And we recorded that with Owen as well. We all went up to Pittsburgh and hung out for a couple days. But it's like, I remember we wrote one of those songs like literally like the day before we were supposed to record or whatever, like from the ground up. Um, was that, uh, was that, uh, Enter Flesh? Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah like very off the cuff. But this one has had like, in spite of we had a lot more time to like sort of ruminate on things and change things. Um, it's interesting. There was no road testing. I remember some of the songs we got to play like before, like on the other stuff we got to play before they were recorded and play them in a live setting. Um, this one, we were playing the first track, uh, birthday candles a little bit on tour, but other than that, 
all these songs sort of we wrote and then recorded and we haven't yet had a chance to play them live or even all together as a band because a lot of the lyrics were written after the after the music was written in March you can I feel like you can hear like the evolution like going from <clears throat> nosebleeds to the LP because um, like you were saying like you can kind of hear that that nosebleeds is like very disjointed and I love it for that like it's it's like very aggressive and and scattershot and has like almost kind of a math core vibe but you can hear like on the on death of spring it becoming a lot more like purposeful and uh focused and cohesive and then yeah the the new lp sounds like one like movement um and it's like 17 minutes right so it's just like it's just like blisteringly intense less than 20 minute listen and it it feels like five nice stoked i hate i hate i hate things that get boring it does not get boring i saw uh i was uh i was in the uh rate your music trenches recently and somebody said that uh one of their criticisms of our songs was they feel like some of them drag (laughs) (laughs) which one (laughs) i don't i don't know because we've only written like two songs over the two minute (laughs) (laughs) i mean if they don't like it that's cool just say that but yeah i don't don't know I, i don't think so we don't normally repeat parts or anything. Yeah. It's like, yeah, you don't like it. <laughs> that, that, that's, hey, you know. did uh, did anyone at the venue you played in Austin ever talk to you about the the piece of the ceiling that you that you broke off when you when you were trying to hang from it? No, they didn't give a shit. Sick. <laughs> that's what I that's what I like to hear when a venue is just like, yeah. Just fuck us up, fam. I mean, I don't think they were really present. I think it was just the sound guy, and I don't know. He yeah. didn't care. <laughs> yeah, that's a throwback. I forgot. That feels like so long ago, and it was a year and three months. Yeah, yeah. and I've been I've been waiting to go to Sundays with y'all again ever since. <laughs> I'm, like, waiting for Godot. <laughs> I never got Aww. to see For Your Health because I was not... I think I was on tour when you played... Milwaukee with Shingard, and then COVID ruined the Soul Glow for your health oh, gift yeah. show. Yeah, rip that hurts. Did we play? Did we play Milwaukee twice, Damien? Yeah, we did. We did. We, we played. played oh wait, there was a show that um, Walker. No. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that was the same night as a regional justice. Center show yeah, in Milwaukee, oh, and I think oh. a lot of people were like trying to get people to leave early to go to the next one, and I was, and I, I, I don't live in Milwaukee, so I couldn't do a doubleheader. Some of the, but some of the people came from that show, so That's, it wasn't, it couldn't have been hard. Uh, one of the bands, I'm pretty sure, played both shows. Was it Wife's? The two older yeah. guys, they were in uh, fuck, what was the band name? Seven Days of Samsara. Hell yeah. It was a really big deal when that band played their last show, but now I don't hear anyone talk about them anymore, which sucks. I went to the last show. It was a majority rule uh, show as well. Yeah. They're a really good band. Yeah. Like, 
Uh, I was talking to Alex from Infant Island. I think last month they were just like sending me obscure old majority rule songs that you can only find like under a hundred people view videos on YouTube for. And majority rule used to suck really bad. <laughs> like it took them a long time to like stop being like a terrible '83 type punk band. <laughs> shout, shout out to No Man though. Yeah. yeah. Their new record is sick. Yeah, those are really cool bands. Yeah, they rule. I love them. We played with them one one time with uh, Pog, right? Or Portrayal of Guilt. I shouldn't say Pog. Yeah. <laughs> Poggers. Um, I, I, Hayden let me know, what, two weeks ago that Pog means play of the game. I oh, felt like shit. A, I, felt, I felt like a boomer because I didn't know. I know that. Is that how Poggers happened then? Yeah. Oh. Yeah, all are all boomers. <laughs> I'm I'm actually the silent generation. <laughs> I grew up with George Carlin. Yeah, me me too. I miss George Carlin so much. I feel like he's one of those comedians that um, a lot of like dumb status quo right wing comedians like always bring out. It's like, oh man, you couldn't do George Carlin jokes today, but George Carlin always like wrote jokes critiquing power structures and yeah. systemic oppression and he had no love for this fucking like oh you can't you can't say blah 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 anymore because George Carlin didn't even like agree with the premise he was like you can say anything as long as it's actually funny no one's going to get mad if the joke works yeah and if it's you know well crafted and it's not just like for shock value sake yeah he always knew like when to press the empathy button which i think was is like a really important thing that fucking are you triggered yet netflix comedians don't understand um what is the quick crash course history on for your health like like are there any pre for your health bands uh i think a lot of people know that uh damien was in arrows in her yeah that's that's all I got. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's pretty much it. I don't know. I was like, I was in another emo band in, in Columbus. I was playing drums, and I'm trying to remember what even happened uh, at the beginning of this. Because it all feels like I, it happened. I remember. It's like, well, I met you. I met you. You were working at a restaurant. And yeah. uh, I came in, and my friend was wearing a Gouge Away shirt. And... I was, like, in the bathroom, and I came back, and you were, like, talking to them about Gougeway, and I was like, holy shit, cool server. Uh, <laughs> and then you were just, I don't know, you were talking about music. That was, that's stuff. me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You were talking about music Actually, uh, I, sorry. Yeah, I don't know. And then, like, we were like, oh, we, we should jam sometime or something. All right. So, I'll, I'll, so, to answer what you were saying, I did briefly join, uh, before I moved to Columbus uh, and Arrows broke up, I was playing guitar in like a power violence band called Weatherlore with my uh, friend Gigi, who plays in Soul Glow and Ross. And then I moved here, did a little punk band with my co-worker for a few months. And then I met Hayden, and I had met the vocalist of Hayden's band before, and that was originally like, oh, let's jam sometime. And then I lost my job. I lost my job at the restaurant, and then Hayden, I guess, uh, was just like, let's make some, like, 
angry music. And I was like, yeah, I'm definitely down because I was, you know, jobless. And I was like pretty frustrated, needed an outlet. Yeah, and it was epic. You came over to my house and I was sort of smashing the drums. And my uh, my roommate at the time, our first drummer, Sandro, uh, came came down and uh, started playing with us. Was it just us three the first day? Or no, John, Johnny, Johnny come, was there. Johnny came, John, Johnny came over the first time? Actually, no, he might have come, like, he might not have been there the first time. Yeah, no, I, I don't think yeah. he was. I think that was the second day. And then mm-hmm. we were having a lot of fun. We're like, we should do this tomorrow. And my friend Johnny, uh, we had to come over and play bass. And we were like, this is a band. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. That's, that's the origin right there. Like, so yeah, that's when we pretty much we wrote nosebleeds. We just like started like spitting out songs. It seemed like ever since nosebleeds came out, y'all were like permanently on tour. Yeah, <laughs> it's funny. We talked about this recently because like right when the band was forming, I don't even know if we had a name yet. I remember we Damien got the name of the band off a candle that was on my porch while we were just like chilling. Oh uh, shit! I thought it was a check it out reference. Yeah, of course. For the longest time. Oh no. That's the guess. Everyone thinks it's that, but it's not. Oh shit. <laughs> it was this candle that said Paro to Salud. Oh word. Yeah, and we we're like, that's a good name. Um because uh we sort of the it, 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 the band <laughs> everything surrounding the band was really messy at the beginning. Uh, like I pretty much the reason why I even had, we had the time to jam. Like Damien said, he was on a trip and lost his job. Well, came back to no job. Um, and I was supposed to go on tour. My band was like, we were, well, we were supposed to go on tour, uh, with worst party ever. And then, uh, basically I, I got down to that band right. Like a couple days before the tour started, I didn't really want to go to work and like pick up shifts and shit. So I just like, we sat at home like started like this new band and i had it i had the show booked at my house here i ran a show house at the time we needed another band to play because some things were falling through so we decided like that would be our first show and that's really what i think like sort of lit a fire under our ass a little bit because we were like we now we have like something to go towards we like we gotta write these songs we gotta pick a band name and so we just decided like we should just keep going full steam with the band, like record music, uh, like put out vinyl, go on tour and stuff. Like I, I said, it's kind of funny. I think we talked really early on about doing like a two week tour the next summer or whatever. <laughs> um, and that sort of just ended up that turned into us like being on tour for like over three months in in 2019. And I don't know, we we just like. We just like kept booking tours, and they were they were fun. We were we were all sort of on the same page, and I don't know. We just didn't we didn't really slow down. Yeah, I remember like there was there was some some weird shit that happened on one of those tours. Hayden, you lost all your clothes. <laughs> yeah, I mean a lot of a lot of life happened on those tours because like like you said, we were like out all year. <laughs> One of those things was uh, the back, the van door. This was when we were in, we were in Florida with Shingard, and we were all sharing a van. By the way, it was eight people. Oh <laughs> my god! Each other, 
we barely knew each other. It was so funny. Uh, we decided, like, like I said, we met, um, and we decided we're going to tour and do a split. And we wrote a split, and then we went on tour for a month and shared a van. Like, like, <laughs> and, um, I mean, yeah, people do that, but it was like, it was an experience. <laughs> like we, by the, like day 25 or 26, like we were all pretty feral. Uh, tensions were high. Uh, shit was, that was around the time where I like, it was, shit was hitting, a, like it was hitting ahead. And uh, we were leaving Tallahassee for a show in, in Atlanta uh, where we met the Dow Boys for the first time, Dallas Dow Boys. And I, the door was open in the van and we started driving and I heard like a, a thump and I was like, stop, I don't think we closed the door. And like one of us gets out and they're like, I don't see anything. Let's go. And then we get to Atlanta, uh, which is like five hours away. And I'm just like, Hey guys, where's my bag? And like the van is already fucking destroyed at this point. Like there was no semblance of order. Everything was everywhere this far into the tour. Uh, so I just like pulled everything out and like, I realized like my shit was not there and it had just fallen into the street in Tallahassee. So I, I did the rest of that tour with like the clothes that I was wearing (laughs) and like some bands we played with gave me some shirts and shit, (laughs) but it was like, that was pain. (laughs) I I remember I was gonna, I, I like was asking for your address cause I was going to buy you underwear. And yeah. then I remember, it's and I was nice. like, "Oh, I'm just being stupid," and just sent you money instead. <laughs> <laughs> I, it was fine. It was, you know, it was like it sucked, but like there were worse things that happened on tour. <laughs> I believe it was Short Fictions who mentioned something about something named Screamo Knife. That's a tour thing. Uh, oh God! Yeah, that was a different tour. That yeah. was uh screamo knife yeah i think we were in we were just in we were in the south kentucky or tennessee maybe and there was just a gas station that had a, like they they were selling switchblades and i was like that's not allowed but like i bought it i bought a knife and um yeah this, that's our sort of our mascot screamo knife oh yeah <laughs> yeah wasn't something about like someone accidentally boarded a plane with it Oh yeah, yeah. Ryan. Okay, okay so that was I, Ryan. I was like, I was with Short Fictions, uh, and I accidentally left my knife with them. And Ryan went to had to go to Texas because this was like right when COVID was starting. Uh, and he came back. For, he was going to school in Texas and came back to uh, Pittsburgh. And I guess like he, yeah, he just literally he had it in his pocket and forgot about it. And Somehow it got through TSA and he was like rummaging through his pockets on the plane looking for something and he just pulls out a knife. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So it's been places. That rocks. It's been in the air. All right. Kyle, uh, this topic that I think is really fascinating. how did For Your Health get the Twinkle Dork approval? Because uh, I, I remember, like, when y'all did the Reddit AMA, it, like, popped off. Like, all, like, the, the new Jack Dorks on our emo, like, were super down with For Your Health, uh, which I thought was actually, like, really cool and out of character for them. Yeah, it's, like, it's, it's like worth noting that uh, y'all are, like, one of the bands that have 
this this heavy crossover appeal, um, kind of similar to Shingard, honestly, yeah. which like makes the split make even more sense. Uh, I don't want to take credit for it, but uh, probably you think it's the arrows and her connection. I mean, it could be that, but it mm-hmm. could also just be the songwriting, like the guitar stuff. Is uh, you know, there's a lot of nice chords in there, even if it's heavy. Like I'm using you know emo quote-unquote math rock emo chords uh right and there's some cool rhythmic stuff going on there's like the app to drive in kind of feel to it too like it's not straight abrasive like there are blast beats and stuff but it's not like metal oriented heavy it's got you know there's a little more flavor to it some people that maybe just really liked arrows just gave that gave us the green light for that i don't really think there's I don't think that we were like that. I don't know. I have a weird self-perception problem where I just feel like, I mean, I don't think that many people really gave a shit about that band or whatever. But, I mean, you know, that's just me. Uh, But, you know, there's, I think it's just songwriting-wise, it's not that big of a stretch, I guess. I'm just saying, like, we we played with a lot of, like, DIY emo (laughs) bands. Like, that's primarily, I mean, we didn't start playing shows until, like, a while in. You know, that's who we were friends with. It's like, I I don't know. Damien's yeah. been playing music forever. Like, I, I ran a show house and booked, I just booked hella people. And, like, our first tours was short fictions. And Yeah, know. yeah. Oh. And and y'all are really tight with uh, Awake But Still In Bed, too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, yeah, I think it was just, I think it's just the, I don't know. That's who we hang out with, so it makes sense. <laughs> yeah. We're just sort of like, sometimes, we're like, I don't know. Sometimes it's like the heaviest the heaviest band at like an emo show or like the softest band, uh, uh, like a hardcore metalcore show. I don't know. Which I, I think that's a cool dynamic. I think that that means that you, you have like uh, a really broad appeal, which is good. Like not just in like a career sense, but like in, in like a, like a sonic evolution sense, because it means you have like the birth to explore like a wide variety of sounds without people being like, Oh, I, preferred for your health back when they sounded like blah you know shit back when we sounded like shit (laughs) (laughs) the thing was though that sophie's i remember sophie's floorboard posting about us uh oh yeah like 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 right before we recorded death of spring and they were like they were praising you know the music uh and like you know we all thought it sounded pretty bad because it's like lo-fi or whatever but, you know, I remember when Sophie's floorboard seemed to have really nice things to say about nosebleeds. I was like, nice. Like, because, you know, Sophie's floorboard's like a pretty, maybe not as much anymore, but they used to really get people, put people onto shit. So it was cool that they weren't, you know, that they didn't overlook us or whatever. Maybe next year we should try and get Sophie's floorboard person on the pod, Kyle. I think that'd be sick. Yeah, that'd be tight. Yeah. They follow us. Oh, shit. That's right. I forgot about that. Um, Hell yeah. yeah. I thought that For Your Health kind of sounded like familiar enough that it wasn't. Because, it, like you said, at the drive and tendencies, you know, like Blood Brothers stuff, too. And, like, it's something familiar Daughters enough. Yeah. yeah. It's yeah, familiar the, enough that the... it's not, like, just in the, like, throw you off in the deep end of, like, obscure, shitty sounding screamo. Yeah. Honest, honestly, Canada songs, like, I can hear that influence on Nosebleeds hella. Yeah, I used to, I was a really big Daughters fan for, I mean, I still am, but I was, there was a, I mean, my, my 
I've wanted to make screamo music for like a decade. So I feel like that, you know, lead up to the opportunity to actually do that. You know, I, w- I didn't just jump into it and say like, what is this that I'm doing? Like, you know, I've been a fan of chaotic, you know, but also dancey and sassy. Yeah. Uh, mathy, you know, the whole, sh- you know, I was big, really into Kid Crash. So like, you know, I feel like it felt, I felt like I knew, like, I mean, we did really, it was like stream of consciousness the way we wrote Nosebleeds, but I also think it was coming from a well-informed place, so it's kind of cool. I don't know. I still yeah. like that record, you know? Same. It's I, it's a really good record. Damien, do you remember us talking outside End of an Ear, and you were like, yeah, I've always wanted to do a Screamo band, and I was like, oh yeah, when is that going to happen? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh... Right. No, I mean, I don't know. I don't think that it was, uh, I mean, Screamo's to me is like kind of broad, right? Because uh, like, right. you know, you could kind of say, you could say, uh, I mean, there's a lot of people that think Fear Before could be a Screamo band, but then most people are like Seisha or Orchid or Page 99 or City of Cal or whatever, you know, and I don't know. I like, I don't think, like, Tropey Screamo sucks, right? Uh, <laughs> right. So like, I don't, if I'm going to do Screamo, I'm not going to just do Screamo. I'm going to do all the different stuff that I like uh, and, you know, keep it interesting. I mean, I think that's that's for any songwriting, but I don't know. I just think, you know, I mean, I, of course you fall into tropes sometimes. You lean into them a little bit. Yeah, that's, that's what uh-huh. I was kind of getting at because For Your Health to Me has never sounded like, oh, we're, ju- we're just trying to sound like, you know, midwest screamo bands from 99 to 01 like y'all have a very unique sonic identity even like the the new lp which i think is maybe the most screamo influenced thing like to my ears that that you've done so far it still is like pulling from all these different areas of underground music that um it 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 sounds really unique and special yeah i mean i think that that's kind of you know, should be the point. I don't know. I, I, I can't speak for other people's, uh, interests in creating music, but like, it's hard to say like, okay, I want to do something so unique and original that only I've done it. And like, you know, that's that you could try to do that, but you're going to end up either making really bad music. That's very unique, but it's bad. Or, you know, Hello Kitty Suicide Club. Yeah, whatever. Or you pull from like a bunch of unexpected places and you make something that, yeah, is familiar, but you can say like, oh, well, I haven't really ever heard this take or this approach or, you know, the use of these two things in conjunction with each other or whatever. I think that's yeah. how you get interesting creative music that's not that's original, but it's not like some weird abstract noisy like whatever just for the sake of saying this has never been done music, you know? That's what separates us from the prog nerds. <laughs> um, yeah, I think and another thing about that is like we we have like a like a broad range of influences in the band. There's an, also an age gap. It's like ten years, so it's like yeah. there's a lot of different. It's a different generational music. Like Damien was brought up with different music than I was. Like yeah, I feel like all the like a lot of the times. It makes sense because you're writing like the guitars. It's like we get like comparisons to bands that have like that were like that broke up before I was born, and like yeah, yeah. I don't know. It's a I like that. 
I think it, we combined like, I don't know, like the classic like screamo stuff, you know, just like Orchid and Seisha and Page Ninety Nine and that shit, and then like like Fear Before and like Fall of Troy and Daughters and stuff like that. But also like, uh, I mean, oh, I, boy. I, I got yeah. I was gonna say like I don't know like I I I'm I love Fall Out Boy and like My Chemical Romance and stuff, and some of that bleeds through. I think. Yeah, like there's. I remember the first time I heard, so, uh, like a bunch, like basically the the most obvious melodic vocal parts in all you know the three songs that have like really, like a melodic type chorus or whatever, and being like, yeah, that's definitely got a Fallout Boy vibe, which I would have never made, you know, because I I was so used to making vocal melodies, and I was like, I would have never thought of that, but that's kind of the beauty of it, you know, is that. That's, I think, the beauty of collaboration is that you could, if you're the sole dictator of what happens musically, melodically, whatever, like you're not, yeah, like you're just in your own head and, and maybe that's awesome. But I think that's what makes making music with other people so great is like, oh, I would have never thought of that. And it sounds awesome. And that's cool. Drop a heart, break a name. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> is that a Fall Out Boy reference? I don't know. Oh my god. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like restraining myself from like doing a horrible Patrick Stump impression right now. Um, it's, I mean, have you ever heard a little song called Sugar We're Going Down? <laughs> All right, here's the thing. I was well aware of Fall Out Boy. Like they came out when I was a teenager, so I it's not that I'm too old for Fall Out Boy, it's I just never liked Fall Out Boy. Too cool. Not too cool, just just I never liked it because I was already into... When I heard it, I was already into, like, punk and, like, you know, like, whatever. Like, who, non-mainstream who the third type guest stuff. Here? Uh, my partners are saying too cool. Too cool. Oh. Uh, yeah. Hi, how are you? They can't hear you. I have headphones okay. on. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> hi, how are you? They say, uh, hi, how are you? I just, you know, I mean, I like, I love Save the Day, and you know, I remember finding out that that's how Patrick got into Fall Out Boy was doing all of through being cool. So it's not that it's not like that. There's a huge. It was just a personal thing, and maybe yeah, it was I was 15 and I was too cool, right? But, but you know, I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. I really liked Arrows and Her, and I think I heard them because it was right in the middle of Broken World, just like putting out like classic album after classic album for that era oh yeah don't oh don't get me started but yeah <laughs> they, they they that they had a, they had an era for sure that was why i waited two years for that record to be put out on there and then it immediately collapsed and the band broke up Did, was was that right when they were folding or whatever it was our record came out july of 16 and they basically i don't even i didn't even realize when the demise happened but i could say before fall of 16 they were pretty much done because yeah it it was like around that time whenever you ordered a record from them they'd send you like eight records and i was like what the fuck's going on here (laughs) (laughs) oh wait is that when when because they had like a really they like liquidated yeah they were selling records for super cheap like not that long ago but this was you know, 2016. So this was, I think we maybe are talking about. Yeah, that's probably, I don't, you, I don't know. It was probably like 
a year or so after that when like i don't know whenever i'd order something from them they would just like send you an ass load of stuff and it was like i remember they like folded and they had like a huge sale where they were like selling everything like possibly mm-hmm. like like every test press and everything too but like i think they like officially did put out a statement but there was a time where it was like what's going on yeah that was like right when uh i want to say prince daddy and deer leap like they it was like right at the tail end of it slightly after the arrow our record got put out that they just just you know just went under off off the grid or whatever yeah yeah i mean and so i think like yeah I, so basically arrows was like a, a full-on there was just like three separate times that labels kind of just killed my joy for music mm. and so it was kind of funny that when i moved to columbus i moved to columbus for the sole purpose of like getting my life together not touring anymore uh or whatever and then i was just probably the most depressed i've ever been and then with this band it was just like psych and just like went full steam ahead and just you know went for it and that was nice oh yeah is nice was nice i don't even know it was was nice (laughs) no the band's name literally is nice yeah (laughs) i i'm following kyle's notes very closely Um, go for it Uh, it seems like current Screamo and Ajace bands are evolving and pivoting into just general quote-unquote heavy bands, i.e. Shinguard, Wrist Meat Razor, Portrait of Guilt, GIF, etc. Portrayal of any, Guilt. Any theories or observations as to why there's... So, like, just I'm, I'm just going to throw my take in like right, right off top here. I think it's because like a lot of the newer Screamo bands grew up on like scene metalcore and deathcore and so they still have that like oh we love breakdowns and absurdly ignorant heavy riffs like energy um and even wrist meat razor uh the the guys in that band are a little older but they grew up on like zeo and shit and i think that what it what it is really is just like this slow realization that oh it's fine to actually like acknowledge these influences like no one's going to uh, shit on us for not being cool anymore because coolness is becoming a dead concept. <laughs> I definitely thought that it was kind of like a nostalgia and like actually wearing the influences. Are there like many examples of like lifer screamo bands, like bands that put out like more than one album that is just pure screamo? Uh, Saddest landscape. Yeah. Um, Sean oh, Becker's yeah. stuff, touche. Depending on if you consider them screamo or not. Yeah, but they um, like, but they also Tom Flatter. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Hundreds Capacities, of hundreds of AU, What of Us. Yeah, yeah. And that was also Ross, who I mentioned earlier. Ross played on What of Us, in What of Us, not on. I think I think there always have been heavy screamo bands or screamo influenced bands that are just heavy. I don't know that it's necessarily like a trend or a pivot because like there's uh, there's like consistently been like bad Midwest screamo bands throughout all of this as well. Um, yeah. Like I don't know. You mentioned like Portrayal of Guilt. That band's always been heavy as shit. Yeah. Gift was like me and him call it us worship. They've always been heavy. Like yeah. I don't know. 
And the wrist me razor thing just makes sense. They got their name from a Usurp Synapses song, and I mean yeah. that's like that's the heavy stuff. I think a lot of the time it's just like it's maybe a natural progression of like the songwriters like just doing their thing. Yeah, that's a that's a really good point because even like Seisha, like they were influenced to go heavier because of Earth Crisis. And, like, you and I also had, like, influence from metalcore, too. So even if you go back to, like, the very beginnings of uh, what we consider, like, the classic screamo sound, there's always been yeah. that, that moshy Like you said, screamo is, like, really, uh, like, a really broad term. Like, majority rule is heavy as shit. And mm-hmm. then there's, yeah. like, bands that you consider, like, William Bonnie is considered screamo. So it's, like, it really means nothing. <laughs> it's just a word. Exactly. Uh, so um, really, maybe the pull to get heavier is just to not get compared to Willie and Bonnie. <laughs> maybe it's just because heavier music is more fun to play and everybody realizes that. Yes. Yeah, I mean, yes. that's what's happening in emo right now is that. Yeah. I mean, yeah, heavy music live uh, rules. So I know I'm on a podcast called The E-Word, but I'm just going to say it. emo sucks. <laughs> that's uh, the entire thesis statement of our podcast. Yeah. Yeah. This is actually a podcast <laughs> to get me out of emo. Yeah, it's called the E word because we never want to talk about emo ever again. Yeah. So yeah, I mean, there we solved we solved the the screamo crisis. <laughs> <laughs> the gang solves the screamo crisis, and then Kyle, you also wanted to talk about the for your health Twitter. Um, oh, of course, I think that's what people yeah, are here for, I, right? Uh, For Your Health has one of the best Twitter presences of, of any band that, like, of this That's all Hayden. Period. Oh, shit. I lost 25 followers in the past three days. <laughs> <laughs> they, they weren't ready Hayden for the election. Like, every day Hayden is just like, I'm about to tweet. My, uh, my favorite is just, uh, basically, you and I came up with the same joke, but I'm still furious that you tweeted it, like, 20 minutes before I did that day after the election don't forget to vote today <laughs> i think my favorite kind of brand of your jokes are is that you make so many people angry by them not getting the joke and i have to wonder if that is exhausting or is that kind of your objective the whole time i wouldn't say it's my objective i don't think i'm that much of an asshole i i like tweeting i just think it's I don't know. I like to post because I think it's funny. And then I think a lot of people, like, get roped into it. Like, I mean, a lot of the times that people get, like, really mad about shit, they're not even following me. They saw it because someone retweeted it or liked it or something. But it, it's it's just so funny and frustrating to watch people just, like, not get that this is obviously a joke. I I tweeted something like... Was it, like, September when, like, DIY Twitter was just having, like, a 24-7 temper tantrum, like, that whole month? Mm-hmm. Um, and I tweeted something like, For Your Health has never done anything wrong. Someone replied, like, oh, no, what did they do now? And I was like, nothing. That's the point of this fucking tweet. <laughs> and, <laughs> and then they... They, like, got into, like, this weird argument with me where they accused me of getting big mad because they were big mad. And uh, then they, like, hate-followed me, I think. Um, And I assume that they have now unfollowed me because I post anti-small bean shit every day. 
I think it's like I, I one of the things I admire about the For Your Health Twitter is that you just do not suffer fools. I remember one person being like, but Biden is lesser evil. Um, and Hayden, if, if I, I'm assuming it was you because Damien said that it was Hay- it was Hayden. <laughs> yeah, uh, you just like broke down piece by piece, like why exactly that is not true. Um from like a materialist perspective and they just cried they just they just cry tweeted that that i think is what twitter is for is just making ulu's uh cry tweet cyberbullying is okay <laughs> how is cyberbullying even real just like close your eyes just like walk away okay someone's gonna try and cancel us like right before this episode airs when they find out we have an album coming out <laughs> <laughs> So I I made the mistake of <laughs> trying to like break like try to speak to one of these people that was a 21 year old anarchist or whatever. Uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> oh yeah, didn't you just like just like post their bio in response to their tweet? That was great. Well, I said yeah. No, I, I forgot well, I the that. exact. <laughs> oh, okay. I think I I did say something like a sickle and hammer and bio or something, but um. <laughs> yeah, I don't I, I just was trying to say like, hey, like, you know, I'm not saying that, you know, predatory people shouldn't be held accountable and blah, blah, blah and stuff. I'm saying that y'all are ready to like with the pitchforks for everybody. And now that, you know, being anti-cop and anti-capitalist and whatever is like, you know, the culture now y'all are just the same, you know, <laughs> reactionary issues that society at large has are now a microcosm like this is a microcosm of like you growing up in a, like a capitalist racist or whatever and they were just like twisting my words and like being like writing me off and I was like I'm trying to talk to you like a quote unquote comrade I'm not trying to be a dick or whatever and then I was like I'm not I can't I can't I'm just not going to yeah. talk to these people because they literally are reactionaries <laughs> that think that they're not somehow I don't know yeah, you made the mistake of, like, because me and Damien had this talk a couple times before. He's always scared that, like, I don't know, I take it too far or whatever. But, like, and then he tries to talk to, like, he tries to, like, talk to one of the people that's mad. And is like, oh, yeah, they're just, they're just babies. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Canceled. Um, I don't know. Like, I'm not, I don't try to be overly antagonistic. I just, like, uh, like, that's not my intention. I'm just like, I'm just like tweeting from the band account because that's what you do in 2020, you know, to get engagement and, and attention. And like, these are just like thoughts that I would tweet on my personal account, but uh, I have a band account. So this is really tangential, but because like I was just thinking about this again because Dina and I have been watching like this Scientology documentary. But one of the weird things I've noticed is that, like, what people do now, like, when they decide that somebody is in the bad box instead of the good box and they must be, quote unquote, held accountable via Twitter, uh, is basically just what Scientology does. They, like, Scientology was, like, canceling people in the 80s and 90s. (laughs) Like, someone would, someone would say shit, like, uh, hey, there's a lot of, like, abuse and exploitation happening in the Church of Scientology, and then Scientology would make a website about them that was like, what really is the line between anti-Scientologist and child murderer? Uh, And 
that's kind of, that's 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 basically like the vibe that I get from from people who uh, don't don't like what you say on social media. <laughs> yeah, and it's not it, effective. Obviously, it just makes you look dumb and bad. But it it is like just depressing. I feel more hopelessness with the state of quote unquote leftists. This is a whole thing, and maybe this will this would be more appropriate under the election thing, but. Well, Just I think seeing... we can like comfortably pivot now. Yeah. I think to okay. the election yeah. section. Yeah, I think that just seeing. I mean, obviously, this isn't. I I really hope it's not uh, like an actual sample of you know. I, Twitter is not the actual you know population of leftists in this country. I I fucking pray not. Yeah, it's uh, not representative of yeah, yeah. any anyone without like debilitating uh, stupidity. Uh-huh. And, and, but and, and I do also, feel like it's scary also, how how many of people's thoughts and beliefs come from looking at leftist tweets, though. And not to say that there isn't great discourse, because there is. And, you know, there's really good critical analysis and, and you know, linking of, like, theory to read and, and, and organizations. And that's obviously not what I'm talking about. But there are definitely people that I just don't think they understand. They are They were liberals you know, a month ago, right? So, like, they don't know the line. They don't... I think they just don't really know... They have no real concrete belief system. So they're kind of just being reactionary, not understanding that they're being reactionary. And, you know, someone that's, set, you know, makes a t- has a take that's well-worded and eloquent and uses, like, the buzzwords that are, you know, big in, in leftist discourse, and then all of a sudden now this person's worldview is shaped that way, and that's a problem. Yeah, and I think one of the best like examples of this is um, I I tweeted from the E word something like uh, y'all will have fucking ACAB in your bio and then also buy a Biden Harris sticker and <laughs> just kind of expanding on that I was I was like you know I I genuinely do feel like if the Democrats had run George W Bush on his like 2004 platform that people that that like self-proclaimed leftists would still vote for him over Trump. And that's a huge problem. Yeah. And somebody was like, well, shit, man, what are you supposed to do? Um, <laughs> and, I, and I was like, there are a lot of options available uh, that do not include uh, voting for war criminals. Yeah. You know, yeah. It's like just good vote for Pete Buttigieg. Yeah. That's the, uh, that's the CIA dog murderer vote. Yeah. Um, but I don't know this whole this whole election like arc this this season finale of the Trump era um, has just been really aggravating to me on an ideological level like there is no cohesion um, I, 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 I'm not saying that it is a that it is a bad thing that Trump is going to leave office but I am saying it is a bad thing that Joe Biden is going to be the next president of the United States. <laughs> yes, both things are true. I'm enjoying Trump's demise and, you know, I'm enjoying that Trump lost. I hate Trump, obviously. I mean, he hasn't lost yet. He keeps asking know. me for money in my email. So <laughs> they, can secure, they can secure the election. <laughs> <laughs> My favorite thing about this whole this whole saga is also that like when Trump was very clearly losing, I guarantee you he like 
called up Mitch McConnell for help, and Mitch McConnell was like, "Thanks for the Supreme Court, idiot. Goodbye." like the republicans are definitely going to be considering like trump himself like politically toxic because he is um but i don't know though he's still going to be influential to the republican party which is oh of course of course but it's it's not going to be like trumpist rhetoric in itself it's going to be like a lot of uh economic populism uh, fused with this cultural and social conservatism uh, that's going to look a lot like, you know, straight-up fascism. Not like the weird fusion of neoliberal policy and fascist rhetoric that Trump was, like, spewing not on purpose. Like, I, he wasn't a fascist on purpose. He just... His brain is soup, like, and he is just, like, a sack of pink, rotten McDonald's meat. He has he has no ideology in and of himself, but um, people like Josh Hawley or Tom Cotton, who are going to be running on like this uh, again economically populist platform and providing superficial protection for working class people, I think is we're going to see like a weird kind of realignment of of the political party soon. Because the Democrats have also fooled themselves into thinking that the reason Joe Biden won is because he's so close to being a Republican. I mean, he is, but yeah. Yeah. But the fact is, like, when you look at, like, the down-ballot races, 80% of DSA-endorsed candidates, like, won their elections because their policies are popular. But Democrats in general lost across the board because people are sick of like this superficial non-solution bullshit um like look at florida fucking it went trump but they voted in like the 15 dollars minimum wage and then in yeah. comparison california voted in biden but also voted against or sorry voted for the bill that would make um uber and lyft drivers independent contractors mm-hmm. uh which is like a horrible blow against the gig economy working class in that state. We're still in hell world. Like it's not even like a victory or, you know, we can like take a breath and regroup. It's more like one down the entire rest of the U S government to go. (laughs) Yeah. I was just going to say, I keep seeing like people, you know, obviously shitting on like, like who cares? Like, uh, it's like there's this meme that was like uh, pre- presidency ended with Trump. Now Joe Biden is my uh, symbol of U.S. neocolonialism. And it's like mm-hmm. I just like it's like so true. It's like there's like people like dancing in the streets and shit. And like and then like, you know, people are obviously making fun of them. And then in reaction to that, people are being like, oh, let people enjoy things. We killed the fascist. Um, <laughs> it's like. Fascism, famously, which can be defeated through voting. Yeah, we yeah we defeated we voted out the fat. I saw this meme, this other meme that was like it was like always sunny, and it was like the gang votes out the fascist, and I was like, you're interrupting my brunch. But um, (laughs) (laughs) yeah, I don't know. I just like to let people enjoy things is like not apt in this context. It's like, I don't know. I am enjoying nothing. I feel nothing when Joe Biden won. Uh, I felt nothing. I just like, <laughs> it's still just dread. 
I don't know. No, what what you're what you're misunderstanding is just the hope and <laughs> and and all the all the good vibes and the victory that people will feel in the Middle East as they see bombs dropping on them with BLM and rainbow flags. This is cold as hell. Trans women thrown into male prisons, but their pronouns the pronouns in the bio, you know. <laughs> Yeah. And it's like, I don't know, just Kamala. Yeah. yeah. Just, she her it just yeah. Sucks. Yeah. I, yeah, I just, no, like, it's hair. That's a that's a that's another thing that's really annoying is uh you know, identity politics, liberal liberal identity politics. I saw something that really kind of just I it, it was so annoying because I'm like, really? Okay. So there was like a super nice, well, directed well-written whatever amazon commercial and and it was real inclusive and all that and people are like oh my god i love this i'm doing all my shopping on amazon now and i'm like (laughs) jesus fucking christ that's that's what makes me just real real dread yeah dreading and hopeless in the face of yeah fascism is that leftists are just like literally it's like shiny objects like you just dangle some diversity and everyone's like this is great no no not nothing to see here systemic systemic racism and inequality no not not an issue uh, mr mr bezos welcome to the resistance yeah, <laughs> i think also just like another thing is like people were expecting like a blowout from biden or whatever like Trump, even after all that he's done, still got almost fifty percent of the votes. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. I don't yeah. know. That's just like the baseline for America is just like they, even after all that, they're just like, yeah, we want Trump again. <laughs> yeah, that's what I thought Biden was like so alarming did. that people were like, another four years of this is great. <laughs> he, he did win. Biden did win like a significant portion of the electoral votes, but when you look at the actual margins. In the states that that won him the election, they were like razor fucking razor thin. Thin. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And what it comes down to is class, obviously. And I think one of like the most infuriating things that I saw on Twitter was, and this was before Flint like went blue, like as the as more mail uh, coming mm-hmm. in. But it was like a screenshot of like Flint, Michigan being red, and the person <laughs> tweeted fucking. And I don't want to hear you asking for clean water ever again. Like, congratulations. Uh, You have become so woke that you are now uh, denying poor people clean water. Yeah. Yeah, also, that's just, like, they, they like, doubled, they, like, backpedaled and said it was a joke. And I was like, that's a bad joke. Uh, But, like, like, it's just, like, even the other constituents, it's like, oh, so just fuck everybody else, like, it that lives here i don't know (laughs) yeah all this fucking like why the south should just fucking secede again and we can have like our blue utopia as Uh, if like yeah as if the south doesn't have like the highest concentration of oppressed people in this fucking country like where do you think the civil rights movement started not in fucking los angeles it started in the fucking belly of the beast the the people who are most ready to fight against fascism and oppression are the people who are currently most under the boot. Like, just, just this idea that we can solve everything by cutting off, creating, like, this 
this neoliberal woke capitalist utopia while ignoring uh, actual injustice happening everywhere else just is feels so disgusting to me. You'd be hard pressed to find a more racist area than the Northeast, honestly. So yeah, I don't mm-hmm. know. <laughs> Boston and and New York and New Jersey, upstate New York, any outside of New York City, even New York City, but up Pennsylvania, that shit's all fucking. That shit's yeah. terrifying, honestly. It's just white people are racist everywhere. Yeah, that's and, definitely. And lips are like, we don't claim that. We're the good blue white people. <laughs> <laughs> Can I share a hot take? I think that if Bloomberg had been the Democratic candidate, that it actually might have been like more "quote unquote" harm reduction to vote for Trump. <laughs> like, because imagine just Bloomberg instituting his fucking stop and frisk policy like all over the country. Like, it it would have been actual like Big Brother 1984 territory. Like, the 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 way that the the right wingers scream about all the time. Really, this whole from the primaries to now has just been such a wild ride. And sometimes I just sit and think and get nostalgic for like how excited I was when Bernie Nevada. I, I felt like, oh shit, this is like a popular candidate. I, I'm like part of something and we have a real chance to like make a difference um, in the lives of people who are genuinely suffering in this country. And then everyone dropped out on Super Tuesday. Except for Elizabeth Warren, <laughs> Hell World, Clown World, etc., etc., etc. Yeah, ain't that a great death album? <laughs> New Hell. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, I think I, I think I, I got out all my fucking yelling and screaming. Yeah, it's, it's you know, liberals suck. They're the same as conservatives, basically. Yeah, they support neo-colonialism, neoliberalism, and bombing the Middle East and coups all around uh, South America and Africa and the Middle East. And like, I'm gonna be real, and it is a bit of a fantasy. But if there was ever like a really like a legitimate socialist, communist, whatever revolution, and the numbers were you know there, and somehow the 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 mil- whatever, there's a lot of a lot of stuff to that would need to be like in place for it to actually be legitimate but i mean liberals would be right alongside conservatives in the re-education you yeah. know <laughs> whatever you want to call it the gulag um, yeah sure gulag um, <laughs> i think i think one of like the craziest things is that this biden one might have actually hurt like mass left-wing resistance um because people are going to like become apathetic and content because it is the blue man who is uh doing all the awful shit instead of the red man like like i saw this meme that was like andy from toy story and it was like it labeled him as like a liberal and he was dropping woody who was labeled blm acab i don't want to play with you anymore (laughs) so if i if i have if i have like my own like closing thought about this it's that so y'all y'all also constantly saw that fucking like voting is like a bus metaphor right uh-huh. Yeah. Um mm-hmm. for yeah. anyone listening who on the somehow has, on TikTok. Yeah. Any anyone listening who hasn't seen it, it's like voting is like a bus. You might not find one that takes you exactly to your house, but you get on the bus that takes you closest to where you want to go. Mm-hmm. And I I showed that to Dina and I give all credit for this to Dina because she is brilliant and I love her. But she said it's more like getting on a plane. Um and you get 
on the Democrat plane, and they keep telling you that we're about to take off. And then an hour goes by, and they say, oh, no, really, we're going to take off. And then another hour goes by, and they're like, we're taking off soon, I promise. And uh, then there is a malfunction, and everyone has to deboard and get on the Republican lane, which is on fire and about to crash into the side of a cliff. (laughs) (laughs) And you know what's crazy about that is, like, some people willingly got on the on-fire plane first. Yeah. I thought it it was really funny that uh, the Republicans, like... Like, the left wing has always had this, like, fucking don't vote for third parties because you're just going to enable a right wing win. But now it's like the Republicans who are like, oh, you fucking Joe Jorgensen voters cost us the election. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, A really funny mirror image. Horseshoe horseshoe theory in action. I'm, like, troubled with the idea of, like, being snapped into reality and realizing that there's just so much work that needs to be done and that liberals definitely are not, you know, I don't like saying comrades, but they're not partners, whatever you want to call them. They're the, the, the second head of the Hydra that is, you know, U S politics and whatever. So, you know, the idea of a third party, that's like a working, a workers party, you know, that has, you know, social Democrat or, or democratic socialist leanings would be cool but it, I mean, I don't know the mobilization that that would take, and then you know the amount of you know lesser evilism that would uh, happen with that is just it's it's not it just feels very you know if if we were to try to do it by the quote unquote civil means you know without you know guerrilla warfare and all that you know what that would entail uh, it still just feels like I don't know how you would get liberals on board. Because they do a lot of pearl clutching and they're they're just as, you know, like I said before, reactionary. So, like, I think that they would be like, wait, what? Higher tax rate? Wait, what? Poor people getting, ho- you know, house- homeless people getting housing and not have to work for it? And, uh, you know, addicts uh, getting proper rehab under my tax dollar? You know, like, there's too much uh, of that dog-eat-dog competitive capitalist mindset in liberal you know just as much in liberal politics is just framed a little nicer long long story short capitalism needs to end before there's even any talk of like i don't know some kind of apparatus that's uh egalitarian i'm probably going to betray and anger like many of our anarchist listeners but lenin advocated for electoralism only in so far as like a you got a communist party or if you got a party that was actually legitimately part of the communist or Bolshevik or whatever, you know, yeah. Social Democrat was, I mean, I'm reading what is to be done. And like, there's a lot of talk of like the social Democrats right now. So it's like who killed Rosa Luxemburg. So (laughs) that's the reason fascism took hold in Germany, but that's a whole other thing. So I'm not going to pretend like even half of our listeners are like anything besides liberals, because I feel like they are. (laughs) Uh, Oh, they definitely are. So I no just, offense. I would want my final thoughts on the subject to be not convert, but educate the liberals who think like everything is going to be okay because Donald Trump is no longer the president. Why Joe Biden is actually a little bit worrisome. Mm. I mean, like, it, is it just as simple as like, listen to these episodes of Chapel? <laughs> <laughs> Podcasts are definitely Chappell cool. Liberal. I mean, liberals can handle a lot of cognitive dissonance. Like, mm-hmm. I literally saw a comment in a sub, like, yesterday that was like, 
what radicalized me was seeing right wingers uh, say how ugly Michelle Obama is. Like, oh yes, how radical of you to to support the Obama administration. So what what capitalism is very very good at is adapting to uh, cultural trends, and that is why you like when the when the protests were at their peak, you were seeing like articles in the New York Times that were. Uh, at least superficially seriously attempting to discuss the subject of police abolition. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, that is, that is also, like, that, that's, all, that's also why, like, identity politics has taken uh, such a stronghold in the Democrat Party. Um, if, they, they, they can, if they can give lip service to these things, then they don't have to address like the true underlying class-based economic reasons that uh, social issues are perpetuated. Uh, so what really needs to happen is that the, the contradictions need to be heightened to the point where it is undeniable. Um, and I am, am not sure if that's actually going to happen like within our lifetime and certainly not within the next couple elections. But things just... Uh, th- things need to get to the point where the, the the working class is so angry with the bourgeoisie and not aspiring to be like them that uh, genuine change can occur. So, like, for the longest time, I was kind of under the assumption that, like, okay, all these things that basically things like socialism are like, oh, how, we, we can never convince people in America to get on board with that. But then it's like, just why don't we look at what other countries like, you know, maybe Canada are doing and like, why don't we just want that? Social democratic reforms are extremely popular, even among conservatives. Like Bernie was on Fox news and got people fucking cheering for him while he was talking about his platform. Yeah. Um, and it's, it's because these sort of like universalist policies that will benefit all members of the working class and lift them up, they, that, that will provide like a better framework for attacking social ills than addressing social ills off top without addressing underlying economic factors like I was discussing earlier. Um, and so like the want for change is there, but people are under the impression that like, you, you know, voting for, uh, a quote-unquote socialist candidate, they're going to get their guns taken away, or they're going to all have to start medically transitioning tomorrow, or blah, 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 blah. It literally just and, needs to be re- rebranded so people don't think the dirty word or something like that. Uh-huh. And I know the like the cliche take is Bernie would have won, but if Bernie had run, like part of his platform is he's actually like a, like a pro-2A advocate. And... I think that actually would have given him like a huge boost in a lot of the the Rust Belt states uh, that Biden like won barely or lost barely. Ultimately, it's it's just a question of of solidarity too, because I we would be blind to not acknowledge uh, the the cultural conservatism of a lot of members of the working class. I, I think again that's why like universalist class based policies are important because. When you are fighting alongside someone else to improve your exigent material concerns, like, 
you get to know them while you're fighting side by side with them. And this kind of like alienation and atomization and n lack of concern with, you know, the, the plight of black people in America or the plight of trans people in America or the plight of indigenous people in America. Like th those concerns become more human to you as you are all, as, as we are fighting with them for a common cause. Does that make sense? Yeah. For sure. What you were asking was what what would turn liberals uh, or what would wake up liberals to the issues with liberalism at, in, in general? Is that what the question was? Yeah, but maybe in like the softest, gentlest way. Okay. <laughs> no, Fuck <yeah>. you, liberals. <laughs> well, I think what's important is, uh, well, important steps... I think is that, you know, especially the younger generation, uh, generations, millennials, Gen Z, and I guess what comes after, uh, they, they're still children though. But, um, you know, I think, you know, the material conditions are, you know, far more influential than, you know, rhetoric, uh, espoused yeah. by MSNBC and Fox, because we're, you know, I mean, every person I know under 40 is fucking poor and was working multiple jobs and had multiple roommates. And, you know, a lot of them don't have cars or really shitty cars or, you know, and they have degrees and that yet they're still making 12 bucks an hour or whatever. So it's like that's like a big thing is that material. You got to understand the material conditions dictate far more than, you know, uh, whatever the the the, 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 the unquote, culture war yeah 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 the ideology or whatever um and i think steps that liberals can take is to just read some theory like literally read some fucking theory because they i've seen a lot of takes where it's like it's classist to tell people not to read or to that they need to read theory out it and all this shit right <laughs> but it's like okay but glo uh, socialist revolutions the world over all over the global south were poor people illiterate yes. people like is so so you're telling me you know millions upon millions of people throughout the world and the global south especially were what what exactly like they were classist because they like i don't get that whole i mean i understand like yes yeah, some people a lot of people that are poor are working too much to you know are working too much and and, and maybe whatever education and whatever different things and so i get that but the thing is that that still doesn't hold up because you know the conditions of poverty that all these people, maybe it was because the conditions of poverty were so dire in a lot of these places that it didn't matter if every single worker or, or citizen of a certain country, you know, knew all their theory. But if you are in a place to understand and digest theory and, you know, explain theory to people and your co, because I remember when I worked at, I've never been an open communist or socialist in workplaces except for when I moved here because I worked with all kinds of liberals and Republican type people. And I remember just talking to like some of my coworkers about, you know, the class struggle. And they were like, yeah, that makes sense. And it's like, it's pretty easy when people's material conditions align with, you know, the ideology of, of so scientific socialism or whatever you want to call it, Marxism, Maoism, like they, it's not, it's not a huge stretch. And I think, you know, that's also like an ivory tower approach, like, Liberals don't want to upset the order too much because now they, you know, they're going to their their nice cushy lives, you know, are going to be disturbed by, a, you know, a revolution or whatever. Yeah. But I think reading theory, partaking in mutual aid, you know, contributing in whatever ways you can. You got some extra money, throw it, throw it to people that are on the ground doing the work. If you could get out there, 
get out there, make art that is, you know, subversive and tells a narrative that, you know, might get you to that point. Um, you know, and I mean, the thing is that, like, I don't have much family, but, you know, if you have your older liberal or Republican family, like, I don't know, I, it's hard for me to dictate what other people do with their family, but, like, you, you should try to get the point across, and if not, you know, maybe cut them out, I don't know, uh, but there needs to be, like, a lot of, there needs to be a lot of communication and a lot of understanding, uh, and a lot of understanding why liberal identity politics or them co-opting radical movements or language is part is like it's manipulation they're 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 mm -hmm. manipulating you to feel like oh yeah this is a just thing to rally around when in reality people you know the bankers and the shareholders and the corporations and the politicians and the people that are already doing well are all just going to be doing way better if you do nothing but shop at amazon for example you know what i mean yeah. Or, or, or vote for another war in, in Iran or, or wherever. This is this also might be like another hot take, but in my experience, uh, people who have been like most receptive, like over long periods of time, like working with me or hanging out with me, have been people who kind of had like chudly sort of beliefs. Mm -hmm. Um because you know, these these are people who have kind of who who have suffered under capitalism, um, but they weren't really able to diagnose that capitalism was the problem. But they mm -hmm. still have like this underlying anger because they know that they are experiencing class oppression, and like being able to articulate that has actually like turned like more than one person in my life around. And I know that they were canceled and and, and are probably kind of a hot button issue because I know that there's a lot of, I don't know it all that well, but I think ContraPoints uh, was a pretty, is a pretty good, you know, entry point for some people, uh, not all their video, all her videos, but she breaks things down in a, in a, in a funny, relatable way. And, you know, just explains terms and explains things in a digestible way. Uh, and, you know, I mean, I remember finding out about ContraPoints because my old, co-worker cast was saying like i like contrapoints and she has some takes that like you know upset the community and uh different com you know lgbtq community trans community and uh at the same time like they've turned you know i don't know the exact number but apparently a lot of people that were like incels that were like you know edgy 4chan kind of fashy people it, it kind of turned them around a little bit yeah. Uh, and I mean, I think that that's 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 legitimately good praxis right there, you know, and yes. also, yeah, engage in good praxis. That's something I didn't really say. But yeah, mm -hmm. that's more than like any liberal or just not even just liberals, but just anyone that just like fucking reply tweets to p accounts they're not following on Twitter and chastises them. That <laughs> like that doesn't do anything. I just yeah. I can't people know that. <laughs> Excuse me, Mr. President, sir, this is unprofessional, sir. <laughs> I think like one thing it, it it just I feel like Twitter is just something that just magnifies it a lot. But is there I mean I don't know, like for for example, with people like there's that new anti Spotify organization that like people are like retweeting but like definitely have a spotify premium account and it's yeah. there's just so much of that where it's like at at some point 
I want people to stop just like acting like they're for something and actually start living it instead of just like mm-hmm. this whole posing shit. Because it's performativity. It's, people complaining about Amazon but have eight Amazon packages on the way. Like <laughs> at some point, you have to realize that you are 100% part of the problem. Uh, if there was a socialist takeover and Amazon became nationalized, uh, that might actually be like a good thing. <laughs> the infrastructure is laid out. We could do some good stuff with that. Yeah. Um, uh, first, we need to uh, and bleep this, Kyle. We need to Bezos. Absolutely. All anybody with over I don't know a million dollars. No, over like. I don't know. That's a whole other thing. Uh, the idea of millionaires and billionaires. But yeah, no, I mean, for sure, the top 10% need to go. And then we need to redistribute all their wealth and assets and property. Uh, we need to like, if we don't kill all the landlords, we need to really, we got to be like, no, every, everyone's living for free. Deal with it. Uh, be happy that you're alive. That's what I, I okay. That's tanky. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm going too far. I'm going too far. We're gonna we we're are, gonna alienate the listeners. Yeah, we're alienate the landlords that listen to the word. It's not very yeah. seeker friendly. We're gonna yeah. alienate the DIY kids whose parents are landlords. That they will soon be. <laughs> that are gonna give them their condo so that they can pay off their yeah. student load in one year and say anybody could do it. Fuck you. Else <laughs> for everyone whose parent is a landlord. I do want to do an e-word census. Yeah. (laughs) Again, Kyle, I I want you to bleep this because I don't want to start unnecessary beef. But uh, do you think we should move on to what have you been listening to? Unless anyone else has like uh, something to chime in with. Uh, Mao was right. All right, that's (laughs) that's all I got. For anyone still with us, what have you been listening to this week? Uh, All right, I'll start. Deftone self-titled. I slept for a long time. Shit's a masterpiece. Possibly my favorite Deftones record. Ohms is also really, really good. Uh, Hell yeah. Songs to Eat at the Sun, of course. Soul Glow. Mm. Album, album of the Year at the moment. Uh, love Will Drown the Nest and Love. Columbus Homies killing it. And then just to spice it up a little bit, uh, I've been listening to this artist... Fuck, I don't know. I'm not great at pronouncing it, but it's it's just really good. It's really chill stuff. My partner listens to mostly chill stuff. I'm going to look up in my Spotify that I use because I'm a traitor. Oh, Cali, <laughs> Cali Cousin Split also with uh, Flow oh, Patterns. Yeah. Mm. That shit's sick. And then uh, I've been listening. Where is it? Actually, I found this Jeff Beck song that's really sick. That's not really. I only listen to that one song, though. Um but the, the other artist, where? Oh, Mareba, M E R E B A. It's really sick. It's very chill. And Jamila Woods as well. And that's all I got. Uh, I've been, I've been uh, bumping those, uh, the new Portrayal of Guilt singles a lot. Oh, those are, that's also sick. Yes. I'm really excited for that album. I think, I don't know. It's, it's like my favorite music that they've released. And uh, I don't know. I'm really excited for the album. There's a, you know, that guy that just, that TikTok guy that like sings numbers. <laughs> no. Do you know yeah. What I'm about? No. I don't know how to pronounce his name. I feel bad. It's like uh, it's like Y T I E T. I don't know how to pronounce his name, but he's. I've been listening to that earnestly. Um, you gotta listen. He has this really. He has a song called Forty One, where he's 
He counts from 41 to 49. It's pretty good. Uh, there's also 28. That one's a really good. He counts from 1 to 28. But <laughs> beautiful. <laughs> like, beautiful. What kind of music is it? Uh, they're like, it's like pop music. Oh, okay. It's so sick. <laughs> uh, <laughs> it's going to really fuck up my Spotify algorithm because I've been listening to it constantly. Um <laughs> Yeah, obviously the new Soul Glow. A lot of armor for sleep lately. The new, the new Shin Guard. It's not out. I don't have <laughs> I don't, the, I don't have the leak yet. Sorry. It's all good. Yeah, I got to ask Owen. Yeah. It's crazy. I heard it. <laughs> it's 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 really it's so good. Sick. It's a worm. Yeah. Um, what have, what, have, what have you been listening to, Ellie? Uh new record setter. Uh is really, oh, really yeah. good. Hell yeah. Uh I've been meaning to check that out. Saw a lot of people talking about it. Soul Glow, obviously. Uh, The new Nothing record is very, very good. Um, Super. I I forgot to mention the new Touche album. Lament, how could I? Yeah, it's very good. That shit's really good. It's honest. It's, uh, yeah, I don't know. It's it's really, really good. (laughs) I'm really happy with it. Um, Have y'all listened to that that Food House album yet? No. What's that? No. Uh, so Food House is some people that I don't know. Uh, like, I can't even, like, remember their names off the top of my head. But they're kind of mining, like, a similar, uh, like, hyper-pop vibe as 100 Gex. Um, okay. But it's a, it's a little bit less, like, direct. Like, it took me a bit longer to get into it because it's a lot less obnoxious and immediate than 100 Gex. But... I I've been I've been slowly feeling it like over the course of of like the last couple weeks or so. Uh, I already mentioned the new Nothing record, right? Like that record's really yeah. beautiful, and <coughs> just a lot of Ice Cube and Blink One Eighty Two. Hell yeah! <laughs> also Interpol. I, I've been jamming Interpol a ton. Yeah. Did they Did they have a new album out? No, I just <laughs> no, I just uh, love Interpol. <laughs> oh shit! I was thinking of the Strokes. <laughs> oh. Fuck you. Um, <laughs> I, have, I have two more to add. Uh, I was wondering if you've heard of them, but I don't know if they're a band. I think they're a band. It's called, it's like Clown Core. It's like two dudes dressed up clown masks. Oh, yeah. Right. That's right. Random, <laughs> random like with a synth drum set and like a, a saxophone and they're like in a hard body and like a minivan and they just like do some shit, but with like jazzy yeah, clown clowncore is definitely a vibe. Yeah, I've seen that they have since been because uh, forever people thought it was like Mike Patton or something, but they have been confirmed that it's just two like jazz musicians. Sick. Um, I haven't been listening too much. I have recently decided that one of my favorite punk albums of all time is Circle Jerks, uh, Group Sex. And I've been listening to that a lot since it's streaming again. And I am listening to Freddie Gibbs for basically the first time because I'm a poser. Uh, so I really like Pinata and Alfredo is really good. And this isn't uh, listening to music, but I decided to troll myself by reading the Travis Barker autobiography and immediately follow up with the Patti Smith autobiography. And that's been like going from kindergarten to a master's program. <laughs> Uh, but I will say that they're, they are both in their own unique way, incredibly insufferable because Travis Barker writes like a, like a kindergartner and just basically says girls are cool. 
and Patty Smith is just hipster hell. Does he write about? Does he write about God? No. Mm. Isn't like Travis Barker like really Christian? No. 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 I thought he had like a Jesus tattoo on his back. I think he has he a big piece that says hope on it, which is just as bad. <laughs> uh, my favorite thing about the Travis Barker book is that uh, he just talks about like having sex like for Half, pages and pages yeah. and pages. Yeah, like, it's like literally like, on like page 20, he tells you what a vagina feels like. Yeah, uh. like including like him being like like cheating on his wife and shit. He just doesn't give a fuck. Uh, and I also appreciate that he calls PCP Sherm because I haven't heard that since like 2010. Yeah, he like annotates so, that. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, that book is really, really bad. It's also like frustrating because I think a lot of people want to hear some Blink-182 stories and there's more about the transplants in Blink-182. Yes, which I think says a lot about like how done he was with Blink-182. Yeah, no, like, that was my biggest takeaway. It was like, wow, Travis is pretty uh, non-committal with Blink, it seems like. Something that uh, that Blink-155 talked about that I was like, yeah, that's, like, really true, is that Blink was really always Mark's band. Like, Scott was necessary. Like, he, he was, like, a necessary person for their early stuff. And Travis Parker, like, did a lot like when it came to like arrangement and tempos but really like the push and pull between tom and mark was that mark was kind of like this this really solid pop songwriter and he just needed tom to like push him in all these different directions you know yeah um and like but, i think they talked about on the Dammit episode how like Dammit's basically like mark like singing with tom vocals which is why it's so fucking great <laughs> yeah that I've decided Damn It is like in the top five greatest songs ever written. Like I did like in my in my Blink one fifty five piece I did like my top five blink songs from each album and I had to like exclude Damn It just because it's obvious like how good Damn It is. Mm-hmm. Um I know you have like Blink one fifty five ending in this news section, but I still just wanna mention like how devastated I am. Like I actually yep. like cried listening to that last episode. It is a perfect ending for that podcast, that episode. Yeah, definitely. I'm glad that they were very earnest, and I mean, earnest season will never end. Yeah, I kind of want to talk about title fight with for your health here because y'all love oh, title shit. fight a yeah. lot. Uh, I think well, like the best way to talk about title fight with people is: Do you prefer the front half or the second half of the discography? Well, what do you consider the front half? Everything through floral or no uh, shed, shed. I'd say everything except Hyperview is where I'm at. Hi, the the crazy thing about Hyperview is I still think that record is so good, but it's still like the worst title fight record. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. I, I don't think it's a bad record. It's not for me. I like. I think that's true. Like, if it was any other band's record, I'd be like, all right. I I just kind of wish. I don't know. I just I I just don't really like it um, as a title fight record, and so I don't know. Do you think they're ever gonna get back together? I don't, I think oh, so. Sorry, oh, I was just gonna say, which is funny because really I like I like spring songs a lot. That's what I was just pulling up here on Discogs because because I, I like forgot what it was. Except except Hyperview. Uh, the stuff, the title fight stuff, I actually don't like is like their really early demos, like before oh, like they started doing the stuff that ended shit. up on Last Thing You Forget. Yeah, yeah. when they were like it, twelve. 
<laughs> yeah, it's it's still like it's still good when you consider the fact that they were twelve, but it's very much like oh 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 no, baby, you can't write a song yet. <laughs> I think it's interesting um, when people like like talk about last thing you forget as if it's an album because like it is like three different releases just smashed together yeah yeah and you can hear that you can hear the the progression of songwriting i think like towards the end like the older songs are put at the end and it's like some of those songs like western haikus and shit and and anaconda sparkle yeah those are like decidedly like more pop punk sounding and like than say like symmetry and like uh, the the more, more post-hardcore songs that are at the top end of that record. Yeah. And the crazy thing is, is that it still does sound like a cohesive album, even though you can hear like the production shifting as yeah. it moves through each era. I don't know why um, they didn't have Dreamcatchers on it. They should have taken off Anaconda. came way after. <laughs> All right, well. That it was not not super long after it showed up on the 2010 America's Hardcore Comp. Uh, oh yeah, that's right. But it kind of definitely is like the bridge between where they were starting to lean towards with the last thing you forget, with like the first three songs on Last Thing You Forget, and like the the super like well oiled machine that they were on Shed. I think Dreamcatchers might be their best song. I am, um, yeah, that's yeah, a great, that's a great song. <laughs> it's just funny because it's, a, it's a, a compilation track. <laughs> <laughs> they have so many of their like best songs that aren't on albums. Like uh, yeah, like another one. Do you remember that one from that uh, from that like Studio Four comp? Yeah. Oh yeah. 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 But my favorite song of theirs is still Twenty Seven. That's still just like yeah. classic. I like you can't heart. say Kingston. I think that is my that's, favorite one. That's, oh, that's my favorite. That's one that uh, you guys covered, right? Yeah, yeah. We were we were title fight for Halloween in 2018. Really, <laughs> it was sick. We did a uh, shed, symmetry, uh, can't yeah. say uh, Kingston. And what was a lot. What was the other one? The other one was an MCR cover. Because <laughs> we, we didn't. Oh, so we, our drummer we, didn't know how to so play. We only did three songs. Beats. Yeah. Well, yeah, because we didn't learn them. Remember. <laughs> Was the My Chem cover Drowning Lessons? Yeah. You know, my like one of the funniest things about that song is that they just decided they were never going to play it live ever again because something always went wrong when they played it. Like, That's a hard would hurt song themselves. to do live, honestly. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But honestly, the breakdown at the end of that song is so hard. Like, yeah, it's, yeah, it's so good. It's the best part of the song. I brought you my bullets has like genuine like hardcore parts. Like mm-hmm. the chorus of Our Lady of Sorrows is a two step part. You can't yeah. deny it. <laughs> yeah. What a beautiful record. It's their best one. Uh, Demolition Lover. Demolition Lovers is is maybe my favorite actually. It's <laughs> it's it's long, but it never feels like uh like it's not building towards something. Like it yeah. flows really really well. But my favorite Mike Hem song is Head First for Halos. Good I think my favorite a... Mike Kim song is Cemetery Drive, but my oh, favorite that's album. Such a good track. Is yeah, yeah, I'm definitely a Bullet fan. I never really liked Three Cheers in its entirety. Um, I I do think Three Cheers is a really good album, but there are some tracks that I think they could have like uh, revamped or even left off entirely. Like um, fucking the Jets' life is gonna kill you. I think is like a like kind of like some dead air on that record. It's just a bit too like loping and it doesn't feel like purposeful enough. 
That's funny. I feel like without I'm Not Okay, that would be like a 10 out of 10 record. I just don't like that song. <laughs> it's it's Mike Kim doing like a Jimmy Eat World song. Basically. Yeah. 100%. Yeah, it sucks. <laughs> I don't even I don't even know. Nah, Jimmy World's got some songs, but no, that that or got some records actually. But um, yeah. I don't even know what song you're talking about because I never listened to Three Cheers, so you I'm don't know. I'm say, yeah. That was like an MTV song. Like, oh, yeah. I'm not okay. I I like yeah. that. I love it. I, I mean, I, I think it's a. I mean, it's not perfect, I guess, but it was pretty. It was pretty catchy. I like yeah. it a lot too, but it is one of like the weaker songs on that record. Oh, Kyle, since you were talking about Circle Jerks earlier. Little known fact um, on Hang 'Em High, uh, it's it's not super it's not super obvious, uh, but like you can hear like Keith Morris like mumbling and screaming like during the final last half of that song. Did Keith Morris record on that, or did they yes. just like sample yeah. him or something? What really? No, no, they brought him into the studio. Yeah, really. <laughs> also, uh, Dina hates the used, and I forever ruined. Uh, guys like us in prison for her by like revealing that do you have the keys to the hotel was Bert from the years just like why'd you have to tell me I love that part (laughs) but but apparently she hates the used for their vocals I don't get it (laughs) Bert rocks that first used record is pretty good it's really good so good it it is really good I was under I was underplaying it I also box full of sharp objects is like a oh that is a banger. I'm very ambivalent towards the use because that's all. All they have is that first record and a, a couple songs off the second one. Yeah, in in Love and Death has some really good songs. Like uh, that song, Cut Up Angels, which sounds like really like fucked up and dissonant, but still catchy. I think if they had done more stuff like that on that record, it would be like an all time classic. But they went in like a weird like ballady direction for too much of it. Yeah. You guys- did you guys see Chamber try to beat the yes. any No. <laughs> yes. <laughs> that was like right at the beginning of pandemic where everyone was just going after everyone. And it's just yeah, like it was, it, it was over three. panic chords, right? <laughs> yeah. Because they were like they were saying uh they were accusing uh the used of ripping off Chamber. And I'm just like What? <laughs> They've never heard your band, bro. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that reminds That's... me and it's it's totally it's very um esoteric but uh it makes sense to me. I remember seeing Bert, I think it was Bert from the U's praising this band from Jersey called Gates and I think they went on tour with them or they were going to go on tour with them and that's that was interesting. What I don't think Gates, Gates ever did anything. They were, I mean, they had a really good live show. They had great tone, but I think that they were just kind of basic uh, post-rock meets uh, emo or like post-hardcore or something. But like, it was just very like the the singer kind of sounded like the dude from Thrice, and it was just kind of like if you weren't watching them live, it, it did it wasn't compelling enough to like keep listening to, in my opinion. I think I saw them open for Pianos Become the Teeth, and I was like. This is like seeing pianos become the teeth open for pianos. <laughs> <laughs> so I I want to ask y'all for some help. Um, so did you, did you did any of you ever read uh, this article I did four years ago called "What Kind of Emo Dork Are You"? Uh, Maybe 
I, I feel think like if I you re-explain what happened, I can put together uh, which one it is. Um, it's the it's the one where I just like go through like different taxonomies of like emo losers. And I'm like, like there's like the the twinkle dork new Jack uh, who can't listen to the world is anymore because of what they said about the cops. Or <laughs> there's like the 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 basement emo dad who uh, collects old back issues of Heart Attack and shot heroin with Matt Anderson. Uh, just kind of like stuff like that. But I'm doing like a 2020 like update of it because I feel like it's necessary. And uh, these are the categories I have so far. And I just want I just want to see if y'all have anything that uh, I should add. So I have. Uh, dipshit MAGA loser whose natural habitat is front bottoms and McCafferty shows. Um, <laughs> I have two types of insidious gaslighters. Uh, type E, sorry, type A posts on Reddit under the username Deja Nintendo 94 and type B uh, posts on Twitter spaceship emoji BLM Ray Montana ACAB spaceship emoji. I have the self-canceling disaffected Twitter persona. Screamo money metalcore e-thought. Uh, <laughs> Marxist Leninist Scrams Mommy Confused TikTok Normie This is a thing like I saw Me and Dina watched like TikToks before we go to bed And we keep seeing like these people Who are like dressing as Like scene kids And they're like you guys don't understand how oppressed We were dressing emo in high school Our culture is not a costume Like unironically uh, Severely ill SoundCloud junkie uh, Which is People who either like live in an apartment the size of a closet and do a shit ton of drugs and have casual sex, or they live in upstate New York, uh, have never done drugs in their life, and uh, jerk off five times a day to like trick their brain into giving them dopamine. Um, <laughs> the the fake Facebook feminist punk dad, which is just <coughs> from Inkwell. Uh, fake real hardcore kid, and then me, which is burnout xx blogger. <laughs> I'm online and offline at the same time, so I don't know. I can't really. Uh, well, you're screamo money because we. we I am screamo money. I'm the screamo money. You thought for sure. You <laughs> oh, yeah. thought mommy. Yeah. No, the the mommy is Marxist Leninist screamo mommy, which is just oh, Rosa. I guess. Both, yeah, what is Rosa? You could, you could come. We could combine those, and that's somewhere. Around where I'm at, around yeah, there's a Venn diagram. Yeah. yeah, I feel like a lot of people are like straddling a couple of these at once. I like, I definitely am also kind of self canceling, disaffected Twitter persona. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, you know what? Me too. Yeah, I, don't, I don't, I don't, I don't, I'm just there, but I don't do it, I don't do anything with it. I can't, I don't want to talk. <laughs>